Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's gonna be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're gonna hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk, nope. we gotta sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Okay, welcome to Jesus Said Love podcast number one. Who know? This is so exciting because we have never had a space like this to really talk about the work that we do. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Well, I'm excited too because it's going to be our thing. We get to, we get to say what we want to say, right? About the issues that interest us that we really hope are going to interest you. Yeah, and I think the question that we've asked ourselves is like. Why now? Like, why do a podcast now? Everybody, it seems like, is doing podcasting. Why do we feel like now is the time for this JSL podcast? So, I don't know. What do you think? I think it's time to tell our story. I think it's time to talk about the stories that we get to hold. We all, we've always been about story. And uh, it just, I mean, why not? Yeah, it's been 15 years since we began reaching men and women in the commercial sex industry. But I think the thing that's so relevant to me right now is that the stories that we have been able to hold aren't one-dimensional. None of our stories are. And what we've learned along the way is that Jesus said love is way more than just reaching women in strip clubs. It's grown into something so much more formative. I know in our lives and our family's life. And, you know, I just, I feel like for this time in the world right now, there's some conversations that we're having at our space in Waco, Texas at 1500 Columbus and across the state of Texas with other leaders in our work. And, you know, we're having these really formative conversations about faith and culture and trauma and, how to talk about sex with your kids and all these kinds of things that it just feels right. Well, I think it's interesting too, because finally we have a place where faith and regular social life are coming together. It's not like, oh, here's faith world, go to church, talk about church things. And then we go to work on Monday through Friday and talk about those things here at JSL. Those two things are intersecting like Faith and law enforcement are intersecting. Right. Faith and social work. Faith and, you know, mental health issues yeah. are coming together and they have to go hand in hand. Yeah. And that's what's cool about it. I mean, when we started, we started just reaching women, but now we're reaching women and men. Right. And so now that's expanded the conversation of how men are involved with commercial sex and here we are. Right. So all that to say, for those of you who are listening, uh, maybe you don't know about Jesus Said Love. Maybe you have heard Brett and I speak somewhere. Maybe a friend tagged you on Instagram. Maybe you know a part of Jesus Said Love, but you don't know all. Maybe you're one of our longstanding volunteers who we love so desperately. Um, But we kind of want to give you a glimpse into really the beginnings. I think. So take me, Emily... Because I think it's best to start with, how did we get our name? I think our name is interesting. 
<laughs> it's not um, it's not your typical business yeah. name like Encore or right. Wow Ministries or <laughs> Synergy Plus or anything like that. It said Jesus said love. So will you take me to the place where you came up with that name? Um, it's a funny story, and it actually is a terrible experience writing a song. People. It was, it probably is to date the worst song I've ever really even heard in my head. I don't yeah. even know where the tune, it was very boom. It was boom, boom chat. Chat. I mean, you could just take the probably off that. It's probably the worst song you've ever written. Boom, chicka, boom, chicka. It was just a guitar and me. And the premise, though, was really good. The premise is that... Well, didn't you write it for our... Weren't you trying to write it for our girls, like as a little baby song or something? Don't I remember that? It's been a while. Yeah, I think I was writing it for my kids, but it really came from this personal experience where a longtime friend had really wounded me. And and under the guiles of Christianity, you know, was acting out in a way that was just really painful for me. And so I, I took it to, you know, Corinthians and, and I took I took to the passage where it was like, if you, if you speak with the tongues of angels, but you have not love and you give all this, but you have not love, you know, and so the song came out of this desire to write a song for my kids about how Jesus said love and love means you can't judge and love <laughs> means you can't. I'm, I'm hearing the song right now. <laughs> I can't even remember. Jesus said love. Wasn't it something like that? I mean, it was so bad. And that doesn't mean you judge. No. <laughs> no. Oh, my know. gosh. Okay. We're just going to be vulnerable, guys. This is, this is who we are. Super, super real and raw. And it was terrible. But what stuck, clearly, mm-hmm. was the premise and was this phrase, Jesus said love. It, I just, you couldn't boil down the gospel any clearer than that. And so that's what stuck. And so at the time we were doing outreaches. So this is back in, that was in 2007. So we had been reaching women in the industry since 2004. So I'll just take you back to the beginning. In 2004, Brett and I were leading worship for uh, a women's event in Austin, Texas. And uh, the event at the time we knew was reaching women who had been impacted in some way. We, we weren't sure. We knew it was some sort of gritty ministry that we were going to be, you know, singing at and leading worship at. But I don't think I fully recognized. I had no grid or framework for what commercial sex industry really was. Mm-hmm. And up on the platform that night, four brave women took the stage and they began to share their stories. And they shared their stories about how um, women from the church had come into the clubs with gifts and had really reached them just with the kindness of God, just the kindness of God through a gift and how their lives had been changed. At that time, I had just had my first daughter and I think a lot of my issues surrounding some of my past regarding childhood sexual abuse were uh, still and you know being worked through. And when I heard the stories of the women, all of whom had this common thread of sexual assault and childhood sexual abuse, it was harrowing to me that I was her and she was me 
And there was no dividing wall between who we were other than where our roads had taken us. And I just remember in that moment thinking, I need so desperately to know her. Like I, I want to know her. And I think in so many ways, I wanted to know me. I just didn't have language for that. So that's when we were driving back that night and I said, hey, Brett, I really feel like God's saying we need to go to the clubs and there's three in Waco. Let's get some bags together. And that's how it started. Yeah, that I remember that night really clearly. We were standing along a back wall mm-hmm. and I remember I, I had no frame of reference for what we were there for. I mean, it was a women's conference and we had done many of those, but that just kind of meant lattice work and we weren't allowed to eat because it was fruity food. You were a man. I was a man, and we weren't supposed to be there. <laughs> you know, we did a women's conference one time where we got hidden behind lattice work. I do remember that. You remember that? We called the band when we traveled to these women's events. Remember, you ha- the band had a name. I would be like the forefront girl, yes. and then and then the the men backing me up would have a name. Do yeah. you remember the band name? Heck yeah, I do. We're called Electric Estrogen. <laughs> And we slayed it every time, behind or in front of lattice work. It's so crazy. Oh, my gosh. But back to this story. I remember being on that back wall and just, you know, just total church boy. Didn't, everything was just churchy for me, even at that point Mm -hmm. in our lives. And hearing those stories, my first thought was, can you, can you go to a strip club? Is that like Mm -hmm. even allowed? Right. That was overwhelming in and of itself. Right. But then the secondary effects were just, oh my gosh, just this, like you said at the very beginning, the sheer bravery of these women to stand up and, mm. you know, knowing that when you say, I was in the sex industry, people are going to automatically look at you mm. and have certain biases about you mm-hmm. and thoughts about you. Just yeah. instinctive. What is that like? Do you have tattoo? Or, you know, all these different thoughts that we might have just being human. Yeah. And so on the way home, I think what was, well, first of all, it was two in the morning. I do remember that. But secondly, um, when you said, let's go to the clubs, I think two things happened in me. Number one, I was scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, it was how in the world are we going to do that? Like, yeah. how do we get like, I don't know. Do we have to pay the cover? Do we have yeah. to ask permit? How do we do that? Right. So that was 2004. And over the next few years, we really began engaging uh, the the women and the men who were in the clubs to a certain degree, bouncers and club owners and managers just developed some really sweet relationships, uh, some of which we have to this very day, 15 years later. Yeah. But I think what was most important that you hit on, Brett, was you said I was scared. And I feel like that is, it's, it is at the core of bias. Yeah, Fear is at the core of every bias. Fear and probably hate too, that we, we're really scared to then even identify. Well, hate, sure. I mean, even know? if we, even if we go down the road of racism right, or toxic masculine, I mean, the, mm-hmm. you know, that's the buzzword right now is toxic masculine. And we, mm-hmm. we make it political. So right. if you're liberal, then you agree there's toxic masculinity and if you're conservative, then you don't need Gillette to tell you how to be a man because yeah. God's already laid that out. And and I think even behind wanting to look at those issues is fear. It's, oh my gosh, I have to look inward. If I have to look inward, then I might discover something about my own self that's really dark yeah. and embarrassing, honestly. Yeah. And so what we know about the gospel that's true is that Isaiah 58 says, 
if you do, this is the kind of fasting I've chosen to go loose the chains of injustice, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and then your healing will appear. Then your light will shine like the noonday. Then you will be like a well-watered garden. And so it's conditional. Well, so yeah. So, I mean, the truth is, is that as we go, we are transformed. We are confronted. And as we go, we learn what we don't know. So in no way in 2004, and even today, do we still know everything? Sure. Well, I even <laughs> We're think, still learning. I even think that's the step of faith, right? Right. Faith, faith has some unseenness to it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not well, it faith is. if you know everything, sure. right? right. You know, if we really think about it, what if there isn't a God? Mm-hmm. Well, I have faith, and I'm hanging my hat on that there is a God, and I believe in Him. Yeah. And I believe that Jesus died and rose. My, right. But I have to hang my hat on that, and faith... Because there aren't pictures to back it up, really. Um, you know, and we can go down that road like crazy. But my point is, is that faith has this element of stepping out into the unknown. Yeah, and so stepping into that unknown, to, to bring it back to the point of when we're addressing fear and bias, that when we confront those areas of fear and bias is when our opportunity for healing comes from. And when I think back to our early days and how terrified we were and going to some um, of the places that we went, but also just we were really confronting our own and and stuff that the church had handed down to us, stuff that our evangelical upbringing had really said, those are bad places. Those are bad people. And and it's not true. Right. Well, I would even say... At that point in our lives as ministers, professional ministers, right? Like we got paid to go minister to people, which that's Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, We were brought in to serve people in a capacity that instinctively put us at a different level. Mm-hmm. We're there for you. Mm, yeah, we've Oof. come to bring you something right. that you don't have. Yeah, that in and of itself doesn't have humility. Right. Even though we can be the most humble worship leaders possible, and the most well intentioned, and the most well intentioned, there's still an us them yeah. mentality. It's yeah. the and, and then we then I'm guilty of saying phrases like they didn't get it. Mm. Well, who am I to determine that? Yeah, you know. Yeah. And so I think that that posture of of us just being, you know, we're coming at this from a ministry standpoint versus we're going to go to a strip club because God said to, and we're going to take Easter there, and He's going to meet us there and mm-hmm. change us. Right. the The women that we met, that I met, the stories that from that very day I remember holding had keys to my recovery, had keys to my healing. And that is what we're saying Isaiah 58 demonstrates in the gospel narrative, Mm -hmm. that it is mutual because again, we see all over scripture not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. It's there you and your, there's this dividing wall has been torn down. So we're all in this thing together. And so the mutuality that we have learned along the way and the sheer grace of God, because we we didn't know, and you don't know what you don't know. Sure. So, but you still you still show up and you and you um, implore that surrender before God and that humility as you go, and then you listen. 
You listen to the poor. You listen to the voices on the margins. And as you listen, God transforms and you learn and you take it to God and you come and you reason together. And that's what this journey has been along the whole way. So, you know, from the beginning, we started as outreaches, but Jesus Said Love has has grown so much beyond just outreaches. Um, How much time do we have to talk about that? Do we just, do we want to talk about where we are now? Do we want to talk about where we started? I have a question for you. Yeah. So we have been doing this, we're coming up on 16 years. 16 years this coming Easter. Okay. 2004? Hattie will be 16. Right, but we started in 2004. Right, Remember? when Hattie was born. Yeah, in 2003. Right, so that's what I'm saying. Oh, that's 15. right. 15, yeah. Oh, okay, so we're coming off 15. <laughs> yes, Sorry, guys. yes. Um, do, you think you're, do you think you've changed? Oh, absolutely. Your belief system, do you think it's been totally wrecked? Oh, everything's up for question, which is, what, which is why from Old Testament to New Testament, God asks us, to yoke ourselves with the poor because it changes us. Do you think that's why maybe some people don't step out because they're perhaps scared it actually might destroy? Well, I think we're always, we are creatures of comfort and that is the work of the darkness to keep us comfortable. Mm. That's, that is the work of the darkness. That's the work because we were made to grow. We were made to change. Everything we do has a consequence and so, yeah, I mean, comfort keeps us from as much change as we can. It really gives us a false sense of control. Mm. Comfort is just a false sense of control. Interesting. Yeah. So, so I don't think, I think fear has a few things. I mean, it, fear does protect us at times from things. There are things we need to be afraid of. Right. Sure. I mean, we all know that it's a survival technique. It's a it's a it's a response that we have, and it keeps us alive. But then there are things that we're afraid of that have been inherited, that have been culturally, you know, laden upon us. That we have um, fear that it that needs to be dispelled, and that keeps us from connection. Hmm. And so as humans, we're wired for connection. That is the way that we grow and that we change and that we prosper on the earth is through empathy and connection. And so fear keeps us from that. Yeah. And so then we're never, we're never going to grow and change. Well, that's what I love about Jesus. When I, I mean, I, you know me. I'm not the deepest thinker in the well there. <laughs> but when I think about Jesus, what I love about him is, is that idea of connection. Yeah. And that he connected with with everyone, particularly the people that he was supposed to not connect with yeah. because they were dirty. I mean, I tell this story all the time. One of the one of the reasons why I'm so moved by everything that happens in JSL is because of the story of Zacchaeus, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So here comes Jesus, and he's got all these people around him, and he confronts Zacchaeus, who's in a tree. And Zacchaeus in that time frame is like the worst of the worst, mm. you know? Yeah. He is the, you do not associate with the tax collector. Yeah. And what did Jesus do? He said, Hey, I want to eat with you at yeah. your house. Right. Like those are two of the most offensive things culturally. You totally. know, dinner, one of the most intimate things. And then we're gonna do it at your house, yeah. not my house, but your right. house. Jesus not didn't have kosher. a house. 
that's not <laughs> that's not woke in that poem. Right, you know right. what I'm saying? And so I look at that, and that's connection. That's yeah. Jesus saying, I want to connect with this person who society is labeled as bad. Yeah. And then that connection totally changes Zacchaeus. Yeah. And I think throughout this journey, I mean, we will be the first to say that this isn't, it, it's not like an easy road. Like the point of the gospel is that you are giving yourself away and that is a loss. <laughs> I mean, yeah. losing those things that you hold precious and comfortable and sacred and there there are losses along the way there. And so I think what it's fair for me to ask if if I'm go- going to ask a woman who has told me and this is key, if she has told me she wants out of the life, not if I'm telling her she should get out, but if she has told me I want out of the life, then I have to know there's going to be loss there. There's going to be a grief because that's what she's known for however long, whether it's she entered in at 13 or she was pimped out from the time she was four or she got in as a college student, whatever it is from where she is today, there's going to be loss that's incurred, loss of relationship, Mm -hmm. loss of standing, loss of uh, knowledge of how she operated, probably an addiction loss. So there's lots of losses there. In the same way, if I'm going to ask her to be okay with losing that, then I have to be okay with losing some of my biases and my standards and the ways that I've operated in order to connect with her. And so that's where that mutuality comes in. It's like, it is so hierarchical and terrifying to me to see any kind of, whether it's a person or an agency or a church to say, we're going to ask you to lose everything, but but we're fine over here. We, we don't need to let go of anything. We're, we're fine just hanging on to everything tight that we've held on to, whether it's status, reputation, money, you know, ideas. You know, that makes me think of that old song. You know, we talked about music. Yeah. We did talk about music, and I keep hearing these songs that we're talking about. I thought of an old song called Break Dividing Walls a little bit ago, right? Hmm. We will break dividing walls in the name of your son. But then I just thought about all I once held dear. Yeah. Built my life upon. Right. So, yeah. And then the course is knowing you, Jesus. There right. is no greater Ooh, thing. Oh, that was a good You're my one. all. You're the best. You're yeah. my joy, my yes. righteousness. I kind of thought that best line was a little weird, but <laughs> the point is all I once held dear. Yeah. Built my life upon. But we don't mm. do that. Right. Typically. Right. Like we hold yeah. on to everything we hold dear. And sometimes that's our belief system. Yeah. Sometimes that's our, I'll even use the D word. It's our doctrine, mm. and we've yeah. we've elevated that above right. Jesus. Yeah, at times I've been guilty of that. Sure, I mean it's just you don't know what you've built everything on until someone or something asks you to lose it. Mm. You don't know. We didn't know. I didn't know. I had no idea. I had built my life as this perfectionist, as this control freak. I thought I was. Great. But internally, I am trying to control people. I'm trying to fix things. And, you know, I say all the time now, you fix problems. You don't fix people. But that's my Al-Anon work. You know, that's my recovery work. (laughs) And that's what the women have shown me is that I needed help. I needed help. And I had to be willing to let go of my fanatic need to make things right and to feel overly responsible for all the broken things, I had to be willing to let that go 
because that was going to be empowering. That empowers other people instead of creating these ugly codependent relationships along the way. So you don't know what you need to let go of until you're confronted with that reality, which is why gospel work and living among and doing life with people that are different than you is just so important. So do this for me, because I know at some point in this deal, we're going to talk about it. Will you tell me and tell everyone briefly what that's like as an Enneagram one? Oh gosh. We're going to do do Enneagram stuff right now. Just briefly, because I'm sure we're going to talk about it at some point, but we need to let the cat out of the bag. You're a one. You're, I'm a one. You're an eight. I am. Okay. So, yes, Enneagram work. If you don't know the Enneagram, you can go to Enneagram Institute. Um, you can learn from Suzanne Stabile. You can learn, I think, Typology is another one. Um, anyway, uh, Chris Hewart's with the Sacred uh-huh. Enneagram book. Um, anyway, there's lots of great people. Father Richard Rohr. Richard Let's throw Rohr. That out there. Yes, he's got a great one, Wisdom of the Enneagram. Um, so, Enneagram work has been super, another level of my healing, I think, because. Uh, one of our staffers is the one who introduced it to us. Do you remember Kelsey? Yandura. Yandura Yand- brought that to our Yandura table? Yandura brought it to us. Yandy, shout out. So we had done all these strengths finders, Myers-Briggs, Culture Index. You know, we'd, we'd done all that. But Enneagram work took us to a really another level because, um, you know, it, it talks about your shadow side. And it really asks you to confront what maybe you've been afraid to confront. And I remember when I listened to my trainings, and then my Al-Anon sponsor was the one who gave me the tapes of Suzanne Stabile, because I had never heard of her before. And so my Al-Anon sponsor said, I think you should listen to to these to know your number. And when I put that tape in, or that CD or whatever, I was like, holy cow, I am a one through and through. And then I asked you to get in the car, and I was like... Brett, I think you need to listen to this. Yeah, it's horrifying. You got I mean, the, You said I got the warm belly. So much. So, yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah, in a nutshell, the Enneagram is a, a personality tool for spiritual growth. And it's it's on nine numbers. And we can talk about that on a future podcast. But all in all, it's a, it's a tool for self-growth and spiritual growth. And it's been really transformative for us to look at our own sin and shadow Right, issues. and I only bring that up just because the one is the perfectionist. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and of course, I'm in. And this so, work. so now you you know you spent your first you know ten or fifteen years in ministry under this one way of thinking and doing yeah. things, and then yeah. all of a sudden that kind of gets rocked. Exactly. And for a perfectionist, I imagine that would be a little difficult. It's a times. big loss. I think that I think what I had to confront along the way is that um, my calling. Because I think I had perceived so much of my work as a doing-oriented person. I had, I had assumed that my work was my identity in the world. And so what I had to work to undo, the internal work, not the hand and feet work, not the going-going and making sure everything's okay, but I had to ask myself the question, am I called to this because my ego drove me here or because God led me here? And what I've realized is that, yeah, my ego probably did lead me there. And God was even working in my ego. So you're saying God could use your ego to bring you to this place? He can. He can use your sin and all of your... It is It is the way that's... 
it is the way of healing. Mm. Identify what that ego need is and watch how you've used it for good and for evil at times Mm -hmm. and cooperated with the, you know, the bad parts of those tendencies. I, you know, I would say the parts that are harmful, but God, God is still working. God is still working in and through you. And so I think the point of identity was just, um, for me, my calling was to lay down some of those ego needs and then surrender now this next season of my life, surrender it over to getting healthy, letting go, posturing myself in a place of learning and not having all these right and wrong answers, but listening more. So I, I'm just thinking back, 2003, 2000, we get married. Yeah. 2003, we have our firstborn, Hattie. Uh-huh. And 2004, we start working in the commercial sex right. industry. And we're still at that time traveling and leading and we're still traveling leading all worship. the time. Gone for six weeks at a time. So what in the world? I mean, intensity. We've always been intensity. doing. Yeah. We're just doers. It's, but I, I, I mean, it, it, that's a space in life where so much is being stripped away. Right. You know, oh, you're, you're being, gosh. you're being, everything's, you're being shown how selfish you are because you're now this brand new parent. Right. And I'm, as an eight, figuring out I can't control a dead gum thing about anything. Mm-hmm. I can't control a kid who's sick. I don't even know how to take care of a kid. Yeah. I can't control, <laughs> you know, the fact she won't nurse right at the very beginning. Right. And I can't control her not crying. And I can't control you. And I can't control now. I, I'm learning about this industry that I have no control of. And right. I have to, Go, you know, don't do that. I'm trying to control those those old church boy of you shouldn't do that. Just stop it. Just stop it. Just it's stop like that that thing. <laughs> so that ridiculous. Bob Newhart guy. Just I got two words. Stop the skit. it. Yes. Just stop so it. So I think, man, what a what God did in us to get us to where we are today was such a breaking. And a fire. Such a, yeah. Just it was the, a fire. And it's, it still it is still a fire, is. but just, it's a different burn. Yeah. And it, it does. God God loves to burn away all that's, um, yeah, all that's not um, serving the world and, and God and all of that. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. And that makes me think of the old school worship song. Refiner's fire. Another good one. Maybe um, one day we'll have to just take it on back. Throwback session. Well, it's been it's been so great just reliving these early formative days. And in these next few podcasts, what we plan to do is really kind of bring you up to speed on where the work of Jesus said love is today. But for now, you can go to our website. You can check out JesusSaidLove.com. You can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, we even have, do we have anything on Pinterest? I think we've got lovely I enterprises. Think we have Pinterest. We have Twitter. I love Twitter. Hey. Do we have MySpace? Is that even a oh thing? Oh my gosh. No. We don't have a Snapchat either. So there's my timer. Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. But we definitely would invite you to check out those spaces so that you can hear about the work that we're doing, learn a little bit more. And until then. Well, I would just, before oh. that, I will say this. You, if you email us topics you want us yeah. to cover. I yeah. mean, we want to talk about what you want to talk about too. So yeah. what are some questions? Yeah. That you may have for us. If you email us through the website, it actually comes to us. We don't have people. That's well, we have a very have, small staff, but we answer our own emails. Yeah. So Neither Brett or I have a personal assistant. So if you want to email Emily at JesusSaidLove.com, you can do that. If you want to email Brett, B-R-E-T-T, 
at jesussaidlove.com. And you if you want to volunteer to be a personal assistant, you can <laughs> let us know that as well, because we would love to bring you on the team. Thanks, guys, for joining us. And we hope that you have been inspired to awaken hope and empower change in the world and love a little bit more like Jesus. Thanks for joining us. See you soon.